Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. All right, hi everyone. So we do have another guest here today, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Hi everyone, and uh, hi Haley. Um, my name is Sampada Deshpande. Um, I am a foreign trained dentist. So I graduated from dental school originally in India in the year 2013. And then I did the advanced standing program um, out here in Seattle at the University of Washington and graduated from there in 2018. Um, and yeah, since then, I have been working as an associate in Seattle for the past like two, two and a half years and have um, been pretty heavily involved with organized dentistry um, at my local dentist society and with the new dentist business club, uh, which is a study club that um, we can talk a little bit about today. Yeah. Awesome. So I guess first starting with your career specifically. So you came to the U.S. to practice dentistry. What made you want to come here? Um, well, there's, there's a lot of reasons for that, but I think um, I can talk about the two main reasons. I had a lot of family that was in the U.S. already um, that I wanted to um, well, be better connected with. Uh, one of them particularly is my sister who's um, out here in California, and I wanted to be closer to her. Um, the second reason really was um, just to get continued education, just to continue my education over here. Um, I felt like um, I would be able to reach uh, some of my bigger goals and um, uh, realize my vision of the kind of practice that I want uh, once I had a stronger educational training over here. Um, that kind of just brought me to the U.S., Okay, and following up on what you said, what is that vision that you have for a future practice? So um, I have always been very interested in um, surgical dentistry and dentistry for kids and adults with special health care needs. So ultimately, in the practice that I want to create, and I'm actually in the process of doing my first startup um, right now, um, but my vision for my practice would be to really be able to focus on providing um, very compassionate, high-quality customer service, um, specifically to kids and adults that have special health care needs. I really feel that they have um, this patient population um, uh, often has difficulty in accessing a dentist. Um, and when they do find a dentist, um, often the financial responsibility that they may have, um, it, it's difficult for them to uh, really have it fulfilled. So um, those are some of my goals for that I want to achieve in my future practice. That's really awesome. That's very admirable. So would you say that you don't necessarily have favorite types of procedures to do? It's more about the patients that you're interacting with, or are you just excited to get to do surgery? What would you say? 
Oh, I definitely have favorite procedures. Um, I really enjoy surgical dentistry. Um, so I, I do like um, placing implants. Um, any kind of challenging extraction, I would be really happy to see it on my schedule. But I think I also get a lot of fulfillment from uh, really achieving good patient management when it comes to like kids and adults with special health care needs. It's, it's just a very satisfying day when everyone kind of goes home thinking that, um, you know, we've had a good day. We've been able to um, manage patient expectations properly. We've been able to give families what they want and they are left in a position that they can actually come back and feel, feel comfortable coming back to see the same dentist. Um, I think that would be uh, something that I, I really enjoy as well. So do you think that you ever considered specializing in something that would give you more surgical experience? Or did you know general dentistry was the right path to, to stay on? Yeah, you know, um, when I was doing dental school in India, I really did feel um, that after I finished my advanced dining program in the U.S., I would ultimately go into pursuing an OMFS degree because I was always kind of interested in surgery. Um, and I did even consider consider that while I was doing my program at the UW. Um, should I apply to the four-year program for surgery or the six-year program? I really did think about it. But when I started my first or when I was on my second job, um, right out of school as a general dentist, I actually realized that you can have the, you do have the ability as a general dentist to really curate the kind of day you want. You can really curate the kind of career you want and go as much, uh, you know, do, do as much as you want in surgery. You really don't have any, um, any reason to, um, uh, you, you really don't have any big reason to go into uh, a hardcore surgical specialty. The other thing I kind of realized is that um, I also enjoy a lot of other little bits of dentistry that uh, do not specifically fall into um, an OMFS um, specialty. So that's why I feel the I, I really like the idea of being a general dentist really appeals to me. Um, even having the ability to see patients of all ages, seeing families come by to get their care and seeing like generations of families go through your clinic. Um, that also gives me a lot of satisfaction and it's, it's exciting to be able to do that. So um, that's why at this point I am very happy being a general dentist. However, um, since you're kind of on that topic, I did want to mention that if I ever, ever decide to go into um, specialty later on, I would definitely do it um, after I've had um, um, reached a certain amount of profitability with one or two of my practices, because I do not want to get into <laughs> debt, um, uh, getting into uh, school again, or, you know, whatever that school might be, it might not be even um, special specialization in dentistry, it could be anything else, but I don't want to get into any kind of um, debt again. And I would rather have a business that can support my educational goals later on than to do it any other way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And I have a few yeah. follow-up questions about your startup and your plans for practice ownership. So sure. you said that you are just now working on beginning your first startup and you're also working as an associate somewhere. So are you 
working part-time at the startup or are you still in the process of getting the building up and running? Oh, I'm, I'm very much in the process of um, uh, getting, getting my startup up and running. So at this point, um, I have looked at two spaces that are potentially a good fit, um, just in terms of location, demographics, or kind of the overall competitiveness of the area. And um, I have a, a real estate tenant representative who kind of works, whose who's, who's whole job is to really try and help me negotiate the best possible terms um, for a lease. So he and I are working together to um, get uh, terms negotiated between these two spaces. So based on how that turns out, we will kind of, um, you know, uh, end up signing the letter of intent and then going through the process of the startup. It's a huge process. It takes months to get a startup up and running as opposed to just buying into a practice. Um, uh, I would always recommend to, to you or to any of your listeners to, to try and go through a practice acquisition first um, instead of a startup because a startup is just you're making your life a lot more difficult <laughs> um, especially if you're in a busy urban area like the greater Seattle area um, and that's kind of what I did too I tried to go through a traditional practice acquisition almost all of last year despite of it being the pandemic um, uh, and then because I've exhausted most of my options in Seattle that's why I'm now deciding to um, get into a startup. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. I was going to ask why you didn't end up going yeah. purchasing a practice then. Okay. Yeah. So you mentioned possibly owning multiple practices, and I know that there are plenty of dentists out there that do that. But how is it feasible for one person to be running multiple offices for someone listening? Yeah. Um, so I really do feel like this answer can... It, like you might get a different answer based on whom whom you ask. And I think the, the concept of group practice ownership seems so attractive um, to most like dental students or new dentists. Um, but really you have to ask yourself, um, do you think like an entrepreneur, do you have a growth mindset? Do you really see yourself um, spending a lot of time on the business side of dentistry if the answer for all of those things is yes, if you see um, if you see yourself getting a lot of satisfaction from um, mentoring new dentists or um, mentoring um, your dental staff or putting together systems in place to see, you know, how things can be made more efficient, how things can be um, made better for patients so that patients are constantly wanting to return, leaving good reviews and getting the kind of care they deserve. Um, if you see yourself doing those things and spending a lot of time and like your energy and soul <laughs> into this project, um, then you're the kind of person who should go for group practice ownership. And although I am interested in eventually having more practices, I do know that when you when you when you you're going down the startup route, um, you have to play it safe. So. Um, Right at this point, I've also kind of written financial projections for my first startup. And um, in my mind, I have this 
range of profitability or EBITDA that we have to reach with this first startup. And only then would it be possible for me to have another office. So if if the first office reaches kind of its profitability goals, if it is really providing the kind of service that patients appreciate in the community, if we are kind of building a brand and a reputation around ourselves, only then would I ever consider kind of starting a second or a third office. Um, Unless we meet those goals in the first office, the second and third office will never be open. So that is something um, I want to make certain that I'm kind of making uh, very obvious to all of your listeners um, who practice ownership is definitely not for everyone, um, but it can be worth it can be very worthwhile if you have this vision that you feel has not been realized in your community and you want to try and do that. That makes a lot of sense. So another thing I was wondering about, I guess, the initial steps when someone's deciding what kind of practice structure would be right for them. What are some things to consider between being the sole owner of your practice, having one partner or having multiple partners across multiple offices? Yeah, that is um, a really great question. So um, there's this book that I would actually recommend uh, everyone to read. It's called uh, Find Your Why. It's written by Simon Sinek. Um, I don't know, Haley, have you read it? I have not. You're not. Okay. So it's it's actually a really, really great book. Um, they describe this exercise that you should try and complete with a friend of yours, uh, which will help you kind of really identify some of the strengths that you have or some of your bigger values in your life. And um, I basically read the book and completed the exercise with my husband, like, um, two years ago when I was in an associateship that I was really not enjoying as much uh, and I wasn't getting uh, much satisfaction from it. Um, And that book actually helped me figure out exactly what I want to be doing like 20, 30 years from now, what my legacy really should be. And um, it it helped me realize that A, I do want to, like I said, like create practices where kids and adults with special healthcare needs feel very comfortable coming to, like families feel very comfortable sending their kiddos there. And um, I also know that um, I uh, enjoy being um, uh, kind of the um, the visionary behind the practice. And I know that there's some things that I'm not good at. So um Uh, things like maybe following up or like really the nitty gritty handling of systems. And um, because I know that there's some things that I'm, I'm not very good at. I I know that I need um, someone like a CTO, like, you know, a a technical officer. So a a really strong manager, like managerial systems um, who will manage like managerial systems uh, throughout the office. Um, so you have to kind of you have to kind of figure out really where your strengths lie, and if you feel like um, you know you as a person as a leader are maybe not enough, and you need somebody else there, kind of in the driver's seat, then you 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 can think about uh, being in a partnership or um, you know possibly giving out equity to um, a new dentists or associates who come to work. Uh, with you at your practice. Um, 
also remember that um, getting into those kind of structures, like getting into partnership structures or giving out equity to tenants, you have to really think about what you can afford, um, what your tax standing is, and whether you'll be able to manage that relationship well. Uh, Because a partnership, even though it's just a business partnership, it's almost like a marriage. A lot of them will not do well. And if if they kind of break down in, in a couple of years, your practice starts to do poorly because of that. So um, really be aware of who you're kind of getting involved with um, in um, business. Uh, I hope that kind of makes sense. Well, that's really great. And I definitely want to read that book now and see what information I can learn from it. Um, another thing that I was curious about, so you mentioned that you're married and I was just wondering about your balance of like personal and family life with work. And if you have any advice to people that might be hesitant about dentistry for that reason. Oh, um, I actually love this question. So I think that dentistry is one of those few professions where you can really really manage your work-life balance very well. And I might not be the strongest um, example of that, to be very honest, because I think I'm still like a work in progress and I'm learning how to how to balance my life better. But um, so I, I can kind of go back to an old, like your earlier question, which I feel like I may not have answered, like what, how my week is structured. So currently I work three days um, as a clinical dentist where I'm placing like implants, doing surgical dentistry, doing root canals and just kind of a lot of bread and butter work as well. And um, I spend one day of the week going to school and learning more about how to treat kids and adults with special health care needs. Um, and one thing that I have really kind of committed to doing is um, Saturday, like the whole day of Saturday and uh, most of Tuesday, like two full days of the week. I really try to just focus on family and like focus on like self-care and just doing like writing and stuff that I really enjoy kind of outside of dentistry. You have to make um, space in your life for your creative pursuits that are outside of your traditional kind of dentistry. And I know it's hard to do that when you're in dental school because you have all of these requirements and you have all of these tests and exams coming up. But um, I mean, I think Haley, you are you are an example because you're doing, you know, all of this work with your podcast, uh, which I'm sure is like a way for you to explore your creative energy too. But um, even as you leave school, you have to really find the time and commit to yourself that, okay, this, this X amount of time in the week that I'm going to spend for like, I'm just going to spend it on myself or I'm going to spend it with my family. Cause you really need that break. Um, and for me, it works because I enjoy like discipline. So if I kind of set uh, set it in a schedule or on my timetable that, okay, these few hours, it's just for me, um, I will actually sit and do that. Um, so you have to just find, find the way in which you, like whatever works for you and kind of stick to it. I think that's great. And I definitely agree. I've always heard from people that dentistry is so flexible and that you do have the ability to create that balance. One thing I think a lot of new graduates or new practice owners worry about, though, is the ability of their practice to be profitable in a competitive space. Like they think that they'll have to be open 
every day of the week or open very late at night to really set themselves apart. What's your opinion on that? Yeah. Um, so there's, here's another recommendation. There's this podcast called the Lifestyle Dentist, and I hope I'm saying the name right, but um, it's hosted by Dr. Justin, Justin Short. Have you, have you heard it, Haley? No, I haven't. Um, so that's, that's also a really, really um, popular podcast um, in our industry. Um, and one of the things that he has kind of said um, which I kind of really live by and I hope to implement it in my startup kind of right off the bat is you have to be intentional with what you are creating. So if you are opening a brand new space, say in like downtown Chicago, okay, which is a very competitive space and um, you see that most of the practices are open like Monday to Friday and you want to uh, try and access those patients that um, uh, want to be seen on Saturdays and Sundays. So you go, okay, I will keep late evening hours and I will open my clinic up Saturday and Sunday and see all of those patients. And maybe you can do that for a little while and maybe you will be very successful doing that for a few years. But then what? Um, eventually, that kind of dentistry is going to kill you because you're doing evening hours, you're working on weekends, you don't have time for your family, you don't have time for yourself. Um, you're going to find it very difficult to retain um, your staff members. <laughs> who, I mean, it's very difficult to find people to work those hours, right? Many of them will leave you. So you'll have this huge staff turnover problem. And maybe the patients who come in and see you on you know, those hours or those days, um, they may not want to stick with you if you suddenly change your days to um, like a regular nine to five kind of schedule. So my example of kind of telling you that is that even if you're in a competitive market, you really have to identify what is sustainable for you for the next 15, 20 years and really be very mindful of what you're putting out there. And Another thing I kind of want to actually touch base on is the definition of competition. So um, the ADA comes with statistics like every year. And quite honestly, there's like in the greater Seattle area, I know this market very well because I've studied it <laughs> extensively for the last two years. Um, there's pockets in our extremely, um, you know, um, high income, very well-doing communities um, there's pockets in these areas where 60% um, of the people have not seen a dentist in the last two to three years. So there's a lot of people who are not seeing a dentist for whatever reason. Uh, maybe they haven't had the time to find a dentist or maybe they don't believe in dentistry or maybe um, uh, it's too expensive for them. Um, but really, maybe they just haven't found a dental clinic that they have found welcoming or warm enough um, to actually go visit. And you have to try and think big and think that, oh, there's all of these patients that are just not seeing the dentist. And let's try to focus on getting these people. I don't have to compete with the next dentist kind of down the road. So we have to kind of like really stop thinking of other dentists as competition and really think of them actually as partners and colleagues and friends like we can work together as a team really and help make our community healthier um so 
even even the study club that we have, um, the new dentist business club, that's kind of what we focus on really and the, the perception of non-competitive learning. And even when you start your practice and you can start a practice in a competitive area and still be successful. There's so many practices that I can think of who are doing extremely well, even though they're in busy areas. So it is possible. You just have to figure out what kind of sets you apart, what your brand is and what is going to bring patients back. Okay. Yeah. I totally understand what you're saying. And I think that's completely right. It wouldn't be sustainable to start out like that. So why build your company around those practices? That makes sense. Yep. So one thing you mentioned was how well you've been able to study the market in Seattle. If someone is looking to figure out where they maybe want to open up their practice and they want to do some market research, where would they be looking to find that information? Yeah. So um, there's like two ways to do it. You can either try and do it yourself um, and it will take a lot of time and energy and effort or there's certain specific companies um, that can do it for you. Um, they do charge you um, a certain cost, but it is really well worth the money. Uh, the company that I use to do this is Dentographics. And this is kind of what this is what they specialize in. They, they study the, the demographic of the market that you are in and they kind of talk, they tell you about, okay, how many, uh, how many patients are in the, in that community? Okay. Uh, they talk to you about like the dental, the number of dental offices in um, a certain radius of uh, the zip code that you're looking at. So in a two mile radius, how many dentists are there in a five mile and a 10 mile? And then they identify like hot zones, like these red color zones <laughs> within your, within your broad location. And they tell you, okay, this is a spot where you can go um, to find um, a good practice and you will still be successful. So the, the big ratio that most dentists should be looking out for is the, is a dentist to patient population ratio, uh, which is like for every one dentist, there is X number of patients. So the golden ratio really is one is to 3000. At least if you have like one is to 3000, like one dentist for every 3000 people, that means um, you're in an area that is most likely going to be successful. If you do everything right, you will, for the most part, find uh, find yourself with plenty of patients. You will not have issues with marketing. You will have um you, you will have a relatively more stable um, experience kind of starting your practice. Um, but if, if you're in, in a weird demographic, which is like one is to 800, something lower than that, I'm not saying it's impossible to be successful, but it's, it's, you will have to spend a lot on like marketing and really branding your office and getting patients in the door. I totally understand that. And it definitely seems like using a company would save you a lot of time and probably be worth the money in the long run if you're getting yeah. such a good recommendation. Yeah, yeah. I have one final question about your practice vision, and then I'd love to talk a little bit more about the New Dentist Business Club. But about your practice, I know you mentioned you really have a passion for treating patients with special health care needs. And I know that that would mean your office needs to be more accessible and that equipment sometimes can be more expensive. So I was curious how you're planning to integrate that into your practice and if that's making a big difference in what you're expecting for your 
profits and maybe your equipment fees and everything? Well, um, at this time, um, with like the financial projections that I've come up with, um, I don't have uh, a really big difference in like the office that I want to create versus the office that any of my colleagues have created in in a similar location. Um, Because I'm doing a startup, um, I still have some restrictions. So for example, um, the practice that I'm trying to build will be seven ops. I I do want to see like seven chairs in my office because I do anticipate having an associate at some point and um, hiring at least two to three hygienists. And for all of us to be working at the same time, we need those number of chairs. But because I'm a startup and because I still have to account for like certain amount of money in working capital and certain amount of money for marketing, I will be equipping only the first three ops and leave the rest of them um, open up until the time I can afford <laughs> to equip the other ops. Um, and some of the things that really appeal to kids and adults with special health care needs are some, are some of the easiest things you can think of. So for example, um, if you can picturize your dental school, um, maybe the ops in which you, uh, you know, practice on with patients, um, there's these bulky side cabinets. I don't know how it is at University of Michigan, but at the UW, we had these really bulky kind of side cabinets, which would make it very uncomfortable for a patient on a wheelchair to really navigate. Um, so one of the things that I'm doing in my, in my practice is I wouldn't have those side cabinets and it would just be like a very clean um just a 12 o'clock chair and like like a chair with a 12 o'clock cabinet behind it and no side cabinets so that people that need wheelchairs can kind of navigate that space very clearly um another thing for example that works um with kiddos that have special needs um is really having like the ability to give these noise canceling headphones because many people on the autism spectrum have sensitivities. So giving them noise canceling headphones, having the ability for them to like watch Netflix or like Disney plus up on a screen on top. So I'm also having like television screens that would be on the ceiling. So there are these little, little things that a lot of traditional practices follow already, but we don't really recognize that, Oh, this, this can actually make a lot of difference to someone with um, certain kinds of sensitivities or with someone um, that needs um, uh, to, you know, a request an accommodation in your practice. So, um, there's this whole list of things that I have kind of collected over the last year, and I'm actually planning to publish it with the ADA in the form of a handbook. So if any new dentist or dental student is interested in like working with this patient population, hopefully you can request it. Um, you can request this um, handbook towards the end of the year. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I have one classmate of mine that comes to mind. I know he's very interested in working with people with special health care needs, so I'm sure he's going to be excited to hear that. I know he listens to the podcast, too, so <laughs> that's oh, <yay>. awesome. <laughs> yeah. So finally, I just wanted to talk a little bit about your new Dennis Business Club, how that works, and what you feel like you've gained from it so far. Um, yeah, so the new Dennis Business Club is basically a nonprofit. Um, that my friend and I started kind of towards the end of 2019. Um, towards the end of 2019, it was it was super. Um, it was it was still super uh, 
unofficial. We would still meet in my apartment because <laughs> it was just the three or four of us and all of us went to school together. So we were good friends. Um, but sometime during the middle of the pandemic um, is when our study club just started gaining a lot of traction because most of my classmates, um, almost all of us were sitting at home unemployed for those two or three months that we had a national shutdown. And that's when many of us actually recognized um, our drive for practice ownership down the line. And really, we were trying to think of ways in which we could still be productive, still um, remain accountable towards our goals. Um, so sometime during the middle of last year was when we applied for nonprofit status and we started meeting twice a month and we still meet twice a month. And we talk about everything to do with the business side of dentistry. So we don't really focus on any clinical CE, although we do compare CE courses um, kind of um, in our discussion uh, sessions that are towards the end of the meeting. But we bring on new practice owners to talk about like their startup journey or their practice acquisition journey. We sometimes bring in um, dental specific accountants and lawyers to talk to us about kind of their side of things um, or, uh, you know, how they evaluate a practice. I know you got Brian Hanks very recently on your podcast. Um, Brian will be coming as a speaker to our club as well um, because he's, he's, obviously a very accomplished speaker. Um, and really for me personally, I think it has just really helped me boost my connection with the, the dentists kind of dentists from all over the country. And that is so invaluable. For example, we once, um, we had this um, new practice owner, Priyanka Patel um, uh, from Chicago come in as a speaker and her, um, the Q&A session that we had with her about her practice in Chicago was extremely helpful to so many um, women um, uh, who are part of our club membership. So um, it's these kind of organic conversations that can really help inspire so many people to think big. And I think the same thing has happened to me. It has all of these meetings have helped me really think big and refine my vision over time. And it has increased like um, confidence that, oh, you know, I can do this. I can have this startup and I and I, I'm, I'm sure that it's going to do well. And um, I think that has been probably the biggest the biggest um, advantage of this of the study club, um, uh, the fact that we have been able to create this huge network and create this um, this avenue for organic mentorship and support from each other. Yeah, that is amazing. I feel like it's such a great opportunity for people to get involved in. And I'm really glad that you have that. I feel like you said the connections are so big. They're so, so helpful with asking someone for something that you maybe don't have the most background in. I could imagine that's really helpful. That's awesome. Yeah, really. And um, I think the biggest, the biggest um, issue that I had uh, as a new grad after dental school was um, that you kind of lose that, that drive or that, that motivation that you had in dental school to pursue all of these different opportunities. Like dental school, for me, at least it was this place where we would have all of these ASDA lunch and learns. We would meet so many new people. We would have these different speakers and they helped you kind of think about, 
you know, different aspects of dentistry. And unless you really kind of make it a point to stay involved in organized dentistry or study clubs or really kind of continue your education um, in a systematic way after dental school, you will probably lose that drive. And that's kind of what happened to me a year after dental school. So the study club helped me really bring that drive back to my life. And I think it kind of did that with um, a couple of other club members um, too. So um, I'm very grateful for it. And um, I, I think it's just a fantastic way to stay connected with your peers from all over the country and just continue learning about the business side of dentistry while you think about getting into practice ownership. I guess kind of related to what you were just saying, like some of the things you were struggling with right when you graduated, what would be your biggest piece of advice for current dental students? My biggest piece of advice. So I think I have some, I can kind of talk about like two or three things. One is to really build good financial habits as early as possible if you dream of getting into practice ownership within two to three years of graduation, um, banks look for a good credit score. They look for um, a good um, savings uh, kind of history. So most of them will be really happy if you have saved up at least 50000 after graduation in your savings account. Now, don't be scared if you don't have that or you're worried about how you're going to get there. You will get there. I assure you, you will. But you just have to really demonstrate that you are in the habit of saving and that you can take care of yourself um, on a rainy day, right? Um, the pandemic was this huge example of what rainy months looked like, right, for most people. So um, having a habit of saving will really help you in this regard. Um, the other thing about financial habits is um, remember that once you get a DDS or a DMD behind your name, every single thing becomes expensive. Loops become expensive. Uh, study club memberships become expensive. CE courses become expensive. So try to make use of your dental school life to actually um, take up these opportunities. You can ask for a lot of discounts as a dental student. Um, get into the habit of even like negotiating for everything, like ask for a new dentist discount, a dental student discount. You'll be surprised to find out how many people will actually um, try to gain your business by giving you those discounts. Um, obviously, a lot of these things only kind of apply to for-profit companies. You will notice that most, most companies in our dental industry are for-profit. You can't really ask these things from non-profits because non-profits really don't have the <laughs> budget to help you out with these things, but kind of get into the habit of um, negotiating. Um, the other thing I would say is really use your dental school to find your niche, whatever it is. Um, uh, for example, had I known in dental school that I would enjoy implants or dentistry for kids and adults with special health care needs, um, I would have pursued a lot more CE in those areas 
while in dental school. And um, maybe I would have already been a practice owner today. I don't really like to talk about regrets. It's not really a regret, but it's just for all of you to gain that wisdom that dental school doesn't have to be limited to those four walls of your dental school. It can be a lot more than that. There's a lot of people who really use those four years to the to the highest advantage possible. So really try and do that and find what you love in dentistry, shadow dentists um, kind of out in the community, see what they're doing, ask them what they love about their field, what they don't love, what C courses people are taking and try to do those things while you're still in school. And I think the last thing really is, um, and all of you are doing this in some way or the other. Um, And I know Haley, you're already doing it, but really kind of learn to um, pour into yourself and grow as a leader because this is stuff um, dental school will not organically teach you, right? Uh, A lot of people um, will say that leadership comes with experience and comes with time, but really leadership can also be learned. You can learn it. um, And the way you learn it is by reading a lot of books on leadership, by getting a mentor, by getting a coach, um, by really learning about the business side of dentistry, um, by really associating with people who you want to be like one day. So really associating with role models, finding opportunities to meet other people and learn from them. So really spend a lot of time um, uh, growing into a good leader, even when you're still in dental school. I really appreciate all of those tips. I'm definitely going to keep them in mind and share them with my classmates and try to remind them of the special opportunities that we do have while we are students. Just like you said, people are all that more willing to help you out when you are still a student. Oh, yes, for sure. So I feel like we covered a ton today. I really want to thank you for your time. Is there a good way for people to get in contact with you if they do have any more questions? Yeah, um, you can um, direct people to my website, my personal website, which is just sampadadeshpandedds.com or they can reach out to me on Instagram um, at dr.deshpande. And if they're interested in attending um, a club meeting as a guest or join us full time, they can email us at new.dentist.business at gmail.com. Very easy email address. (laughs) Perfect. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. All right, that's the end of this week's episode. Thank you so, so much for tuning in. Next week, we're going to be joined with Dr. Chris Naglieri. He is an endodontics resident at UNC. He's currently married, and he worked for a few years as a general dentist and then went on to his endo residency. So we talk all about his journey into endo, why endo, what endo is all about, how to get into an endodontics residency, what are some things they're looking for, and what he liked about his program at UNC that made him choose to go there. So I hope you're looking forward to that episode, and I'll talk to you next week.